0: Well hey there Heritage family, I want to welcome all of you across our network to week two of a conversation we are calling Hope in the Dark because all of us have those moments where it feels like we're in a dark space and we could use a little hope and the reality is that we are not the first ones looking for hope. And that I think we couldn't come together in a better space or time to hear about what it means for us to have hope. We've been rooting this conversation in the book of Romans, which is actually a letter written to a group of Christ followers a long time ago who were living in a time and in a space where it felt like the whole world was about to come apart at its seams. And I think there are moments for us where we can look and see and feel like our world is maybe about to come apart at its themes. And so we've been in Romans 15, and we've been anchoring in one verse in particular that I want to read to us. It's actually a prayer that was included in that letter long ago. It was a prayer for that group of Roman followers of Jesus. But I also believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is a prayer spoken over us Today, And so here's that prayer. It's, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't wait to see what it looks like for you and for me, for us together as heritage, as one body, to overflow with hope regardless of the circumstances that we may be facing. If I haven't had a chance to to meet you yet. My name is Jeremiah. I get to be one of our teaching pastors here. And uh, if you do know me, you know that I grew up in the desert southwest and had a number of great adventures as a little boy growing up. But as we've been talking about this idea of having hope in the dark and what it means for us to be able to hold on to hope in the dark, even when it seems impossible, I have started thinking about some of those moments where I was most most afraid of the dark, or most afraid in the dark, I should say. And One of those moments uh, came to mind for me recently. So I'm going to share it with you here. Uh, I grew up on a little ranch in the the southeast corner of Arizona. And so we had some livestock and we just kind of were scratching out a life for ourselves in the desert out there. And one day, I don't remember what was going on, but one day in particular, all of the grown-ups had gathered for some sort of big family conversation. Something was happening and they all needed to talk together and so I was about eight or nine or ten years old when uh, when this was happening and all of a sudden we started to hear all of our dogs going absolutely crazy outside so again I don't know what happened here there was some sort of, of series of cascading failures that occurred that caused one of the adults to say Jeremiah at 8 or 9 or 10 years old, you should go out there and find out what's getting the dogs all riled up. Now, these are working dogs, right? We're on a little ranch. So these aren't just pets. They have a purpose. And part of what they do is they keep, like, wild animals at bay. They try to protect the livestock. Every now and again, they would find and corner a rattlesnake. And so this is the kind of fearsome barking that we hear. And out I trod, you know, over to go see what in the world is going on. So I walked about the 75 or 100 yards to this creepy old tool shed slash barn that I hated going into. It was always dark, it always smelled funny, and there was always something in there that you didn't want to have any part of. And so this is where the dogs are at, and there's this one open bay where we keep some of the equipment uh, for the ranch there, and, and the dogs are in this kind of semicircle posture facing into the open bay barking and barking and barking and barking there is something in there so I do what I'm supposed to do what I've been empowered to do what I've been sent to do and I kind of step a little closer and I see back in the far corner there's this there's this figure there's something in there so I step into the darkness And I come face to face and nose to nose, at least in my recollection, with a javelina. Now, if you don't know what a javelina is, here's a little picture for you, okay? Oh yeah, that's pretty. That's nice. They smell about as good as they look, too, by the way. They're, one of their nicknames is skunk pig. Okay, that's a real thing. And so the, the thing that you need to know about Havelina is that when they get scared or angry, they get mean. And this thing was both of those things. And so I did the only thing I knew to do. Which was once my legs started working again, to back out very slowly and quietly, although it didn't matter because the dogs were going crazy behind me, kind of turn a corner and then as soon as I was clear, run back home, change my shorts and get the adults <laughs> to come and help and, and deal with this situation, which, which they did and I want you to know that Havelina made it out safely back to its family, probably telling a story about sometime a little eight or nine year old boy cornered it in a shed somewhere. Now, the reason I share this with you is because in my world that day, everything was fine. It was the middle of the day, it was bright and shiny, and it was just a normal day. And all of a sudden, I found myself in the dark. And not only in the dark, but I found myself confronted face-to-face and nose-to-nose with a monster in the dark. And I think there are times and places in our lives where that has been our story. Where everything seems fine, but all of the sudden, all of the sudden, we find ourselves in the dark, confronted with the monsters that lurk there. And I'm talking about the monsters of miscarriage and divorce and abuse and illness and pain and suffering and sorrow. And we don't know what to do. We wonder, how are we going to handle it? How in the world, when those things happen, do we hold on to hope in the dark? when we look at the world around us and even some of the conversations and things that have been going on in just the last few days and we hear about disease and disaster and trials and issues and struggles and famine it can feel like somebody has turned out the lights and things are getting dark and then we ask what do we do what does it look like to be people of hope in that space And then we realize that the darkness is closer in still. And we have spaces in our own communities, in our cities, even in our own families. Where there are places of darkness. Where we're confronted with monsters in the dark. We wonder, if we are people of hope, what do we do? How do we handle that? Where do we find light and hope? in those dark circumstances. And the truth is, we are not the first ones to look at these circumstances and ask that question. We're not the first ones who have had to, to scramble as it seems like the world is coming apart at its themes. And so... <clears throat> We're going to dig into a couple of key conversations for us about what it looks like for you and me, no matter the circumstance, no matter what's going on, to be people of hope, to have hope in the dark. Because I believe that is our invitation, it is our call, and it's what's before us. So before we dig into that too much, I I think it's helpful for us if we can just kind of boil down what our hope in the dark is in a nutshell. Okay, we have this hope in the dark. And so we're going to be looking at a couple of key truths that are sort of foundational for the rest of our conversation today. And we're going to sit and soak in those and in some scriptures and then look at what do we need to do with what we've talked about. These two truths that we're going to look at when we look at what our hope in the dark is, these two things are true regardless of the circumstances we are facing. And because they are true, it can change everything about how we interact, how we handle the dark, and what we do when we bump into the monsters that are sometimes lurking there. Are you ready? All right, so this is the first Part of what our hope in the dark. Our hope in the dark is that Jesus is alive. Say that with me. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. alive. This is what our hope in the dark is rooted in. This passage that we looked at just a few moments ago is like bathed and soaked in this hopeful truth. It's presuming the reality and hope of Jesus being alive. In fact, everything in the New Testament that's from Matthew to maps is part of this idea. It has as its core the conversation that Jesus is alive. On every page, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. alive. And if Jesus is alive, then we have hope. If Jesus is alive, it means not only did he live a perfect life, not only did he teach wonderful things, not only did he help change the world, but it means that he overcame death. And that's really important for us because I think one of the scariest monsters that we bump into in the dark is the scary monster of death. But if Jesus is alive, then it means that that monster has no power or authority because Jesus conquered death. This is good preaching Jeremiah, right? This is, this is actually really hopeful truth. This is our hope in the dark. Now, I know for some of us, this can be a struggle because, you know, we have a relatively easy time acknowledging or saying, yes, uh, Jesus was. Jesus was a great teacher, Jesus did live, Jesus did, maybe we'll even stretch into saying change the world, but moving into that space where we can say with boldness and confidence, Jesus is alive, well that feels like it's a bit of a stretch, but let me tell you, every part of the hope in the dark conversation that we find in the scriptures is rooted in this truth. That Jesus is alive. So much so that another writer said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we have no hope. The corollary of that is, if he did rise from the dead, we have every hope. This is our hope in the dark, that Jesus is alive. In another letter to a group of followers of Jesus, we read these words in Colossians chapter 3. It says, since then, you, followers of Jesus, have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Pause there for a second. He's basically saying, we are just presuming. We're saying Jesus is alive. He has risen from the dead. And if you're in relationship with him, then he is raising you also. And because that's true, you need to rest your heart on things above. Not on the circumstances of what can happen one day to the next. Not being jerked around by one challenge after another, one heartache, one hardship, one issue after another. But no, we can actually allow our hearts to rest in the hopeful truth that Jesus is alive. And not only that, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Reflect on this reality that Jesus is alive. Let your mind follow your heart in that. For you died, this is to the old way of living, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In other words, Jesus is alive and Jesus is going to return as the resurrected leader of the world, the resurrected one in power. And if that is true, and I believe that it is, then we have hope. We have every reason to hope because Jesus is alive. In one sense, as I said, the worst thing that can happen to us, the scariest monster in the dark, is death. But Jesus, by his resurrection, overcame death. He said death cannot hold him. And because of his living hope, we have living hope. Friends, we need to kind of just sit and soak in what this means for us. If you've been in the church for a while, this is one of those conversations that can feel a little tired. Like, yeah, yeah, we know that. And if, you, if you're new to the whole church thing, and maybe not even fully convinced about the whole Jesus thing, this is one of those things that just seems like, oh my goodness, there's a crazy man talking up front. Right? But this is our hope. And we we know it's true because the claim of Jesus being risen is so crazy that people wouldn't keep repeating it for thousands of years and pointing to evidence after evidence after evidence that there was this man named Jesus who lived and taught and died and rose again. Our hope in the dark is this, that Jesus is alive. But that's really only part A of this nutshell of what our hope in the dark is. Part B is this, that Jesus is king. Not only is Jesus alive, but Jesus is king. Again, this is one of those things that if you're looking at the scriptures, if you're reading in the the New Testament, you see that the writers are going out of their way to make it painfully very clear that Jesus not only is alive, but he is in charge. That he is the one who is leading all things. There's this sense throughout the New Testament that every bit of authority that we bump into in the world is authority that Jesus has given. That it's authority he has delegated to someone else for a season. So here's what that means. This means that if you are in any position of power and authority, the power and authority you have is yours because Jesus is entrusting it to you whether you acknowledge him or not. And that one day, you will give an account for how you use that power and authority. That's true whether you are a parent who's leading in your home, whether you are a supervisor at work, whether you're an elected official or a head of state or someone else holding any influence. Jesus is king. And if Jesus is king, then every bit of authority we bump into is his entrusted to someone else. So that starts to again shift how we look at the circumstances and things that we bump into in this world. In those dark moments, Jesus is alive and Jesus is king. I want you to look at this description of who Jesus is uh, also from that book of Colossians. It says this, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you if you're a a follower of him, have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. When you were dead in your sins, in that old way of living, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God did the impossible and made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed, read this, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." Only Jesus could do this. Only Jesus, as the one who is alive, could take a machine of torture and death, the cross, which was used by the government at the time and the king at the time to tell people, I am the most powerful king who has ever lived and you will choose to follow me and obey my rules or else. That's the story in the message of the cross before Jesus. And then Jesus enters the scene. He lives a perfect life. He invites us into relationship. He says a new way of thinking and a new way of living called a new kingdom is here. And here's how I'm going to establish it. I'm going to take this machine that has been used by a human king to try to force his way in the world. And I'm going to take it and I'm going to allow myself To be executed upon it. And in so doing I'm turning it around. And I'm stripping every authority of its power. Because all authority is mine. Everything is mine. I am the one true king. It's hard to understand. But this is the truth. That's kind of we're invited into. Throughout the scriptures. That Jesus is king. This is our hope in the dark. That Jesus is alive. That Jesus is king. But you see, one of the dangers in these kinds of conversations for us is we can hear some hopeful truth. We can hear something like this and get a little bit charged up, hopefully, and start feeling like, yeah, okay, God's got it. It's all right. We're going to be great. It's wonderful. And then to leave and have nothing change. My concern for us is that in this hope in the dark conversation, we'll kind of have these moments and leave and nothing will change. But I want to invite us to take a next step. To kind of ask, what are we going to do with this? What does this mean for us? This is our hope in the dark. This is what we're rooted in as a follower of Jesus. We believe Jesus is alive. That there's nothing that can stop him. That Jesus is king. That he is in charge regardless of the circumstances that we see or the things that we bump into in the dark, his life, his death, his resurrection, his activity right now are all proof positive that God is for us. And his spirit within us reminds us that God is with us. Because Jesus is alive and Jesus is king, that means he goes ahead of us and he is our rear guard. It means that there is nothing we encounter where Jesus, the living hope, is not already there. This is hope in the dark. And if these things are true, then this is what it means. Because of this hope, we have assurance. We have assurance. We have this knowing that Jesus is king, that he goes ahead of us, that he is the powerful king who is with us, walking before, behind, beside, that there's nothing we encounter that we need to be afraid of. That there's nothing that we walk into where we cannot have hope because Jesus is king, because Jesus is alive. But this assurance that we have, it it does not mean that everything is going to be easy. In fact, Jesus in his teaching and inviting people to follow him said, "Uh, by the way, in this world, you're going to have a bad time. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Again, I am king. He's the living one. So this assurance that we have, it doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. It doesn't even mean that everything is going to be painless. And sometimes, church, when we bump into moments of pain, that's where you and I start to think, is Is there hope? Is God even active? Is he there with us? But the invitation of Jesus, again, is to take up our cross and follow him. There's something about our own suffering that unites us uniquely and deeply and inseparably with who Jesus is. So this assurance, it doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be painless. It it doesn't mean that it's going to be comfortable or simple, but it does mean something profound. It means something that I think can really change how we interact with those moments where we bump into monsters in the dark. It's, it's something you and I need to hear and we need to hold on to. So if you're taking notes, now's a good time to get ready to jot something down that's not a fill-in, okay? It's this. You ready? Everything is going to be okay. Because Jesus is alive, and because he is king, There is no circumstance you are facing or might face where it isn't going to be okay. Now, the outcome may not be what you or I would choose. The journey may not be one that you or I would would be jealous or envious of having to walk. But everything is going to be okay. I hope you hear this and you, you sit in it and soak in it for a moment. Because I actually think we can take this one step further still because you know what we've been talking about isn't that Jesus is going to be alive and that he's going to be king but that he is alive and he is king and so if that's true i think we can edit this statement a little bit more and say this everything is okay now that doesn't mean that that The painful spaces, the dark spaces, the monsters that we bump into, that those don't count, that they don't matter, that they're not real. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not inviting us to have this kind of pie in the sky, fake it till you make it, you know, just hope everything is better and imagine it to be. No, there is a rootedness we can have in the reality that because Jesus is king, because he is alive, everything is okay. And it is okay because he is with us, It is okay because even now he is working out all things for his glory. He's the same God in the scriptures who we read somebody say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He took what you tried to do in destruction and brought life out of it. If that is true, and it is, then everything is okay. And sometimes we have, to, we have to allow our spirit within us to convince us of this truth because there are times when every circumstance we bump into tries to argue with this. But Jesus is alive. Jesus is king. And because that is true, we have assurance. And more than that, we have courage. Because you see, it takes courage to be people of hope it takes courage to be people who have those dark moments and dark spaces who bump into those monsters in the dark it takes courage to stand firm and say we will be people of hope more than that we have courage to go into the dark spaces not to run away from them but actually to walk toward them to move toward need and brokenness to move toward the spaces that are dark, it will take courage. We have courage to be people of hope. To be people of hope when it seems like all hell is breaking loose in our families and in our communities and in the world, and then to have courage to take the life and hope of heaven there. We have courage. It is ours. Jesus secured it for us. He is alive and he is king. And so it will take courage to live this out. I believe it means that we have the courage to speak truth to power about all of these things and more. To speak truth to those in authority who have authority only because Jesus gave it to them anyway, and to tell them that every life has value. Every life, every unborn life, every immigrant life, every incarcerated life, every ill life, every aged life, every life has value Because Jesus is alive and he is king and that's what he says. And so we speak this truth and then not only do we speak it, but then we go to the spaces where the unborn and the aged and the immigrant and the incarcerated are. And we speak and offer hope. This is part of what it means for us to be living in the second gap. This is second gap ministry. It's to go into the gaps of darkness and proclaim truth, proclaim hope, and then move in hope to bring restoration and life and goodness. This is really good preaching, I've got to say. Okay? We must, we must, we must be people of courage, but Jesus gives us the courage we need to go into the spaces, to name the darkness in our families and say we will no longer be a family marked by the cycle of addiction and abuse and violence and moving further and further away from God's goodness. We're not going to do that. We are going to be people of hope and life and goodness because that is who we were made to be. Because Jesus is alive, because Jesus is king, we have courage to tackle those things in his grace and in his goodness and move our families toward Life. This is our hope in the dark, friends. But you see, this will require us to offer hope to and for each other. Because For us to be people of courage, we're going to need encouragement from one another. In fact, the book of Romans 15, where we've rooted, actually says this. It says another prayer. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see what's going on here? It's this idea that you and I are going to be in spaces. We're going to bump into monsters in the dark. There are going to be times where we are going to need somebody else to breathe courage into us. That's what encourage means, to breathe courage into somebody. We need each other to breathe courage into us and to be breathing courage into others. To be saying, yes, it's dark, yes, it's hard, but Jesus is king and he is alive and he is going ahead of you and he has gone behind you and he is taking care of it. Everything is okay, even when it doesn't seem like it because he is alive and he is good and he is for you. And sometimes we have to borrow the courage of others in these moments and spaces. And this is why we need one another. Because you see, the invitation that we have is to offer hope for the sake of others. So it brings me to ask this question. Where do you need to offer hope for the sake of others? There's actually space in your note guide to process that and write down where it is that the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind, that he's bubbling in your heart of where you are uniquely and purposefully positioned to offer hope, to choose hope for the sake of others. Where do you need to choose hope? For the people around you, for the people in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community. Where? Because you, if you are a follower of Jesus, have been chosen as a vessel of hope to go into the dark spaces, to have courage and assurance, and bring hope with you wherever you go. In fact, there's a thinker and writer named N.T. Wright who talks about what the purpose, the task of Christ followers is. Here's what he says. Our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness. To announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness. To proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and And suspicion. This will take courage. It will take us living and moving together in purpose, on purpose, for a purpose. Where do you need to choose hope for the sake of others today? Now honestly I I struggled with whether I was going to share this next little tidbit with us. Mostly because I don't ever want to say something that distracts us from from the bigger conversation that we're having. And certainly not when we're talking about Jesus being alive and Jesus being king. But I want you to understand that when I am asking you, where do you need to choose hope for the sake of others? I'm asking that same question of myself. I told you about rounding the corner into that barn shed all those years ago and coming face to face with that monster in the dark. What I didn't expect was that about a year ago, I would find myself in a dark space bumping into the monster of disease. I ended up in the hospital for the better part of a week trying to figure out what in the world was going on in my body. I had woken up one day and felt like just something wasn't right and as the day progressed that feeling continued to intensify and get worse and worse and then the next day I couldn't walk. I, I didn't know how to make my legs do what they had done ever since I had learned to walk. I I had a really hard time even trying to get across the room. I didn't know what was going on. It was It was a Frightening, frightful thing. My brain wasn't working. I would think of words and not those words would come out in a jumbled mess. It was scary. It was frightening. It was dark for me and for my bride and for my kids. And I didn't know what to do. And so they ran all kinds of tests. It was, it was this c- crazy thing and they, they ran all kinds of tests and, and at the end of it they basically said, so... If it's what we think maybe it possibly should be, you've got a long road ahead. And if it's not what we think maybe possibly it could be, you've got a longer road ahead. I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know how to be a dad and a husband and a pastor who couldn't move. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and there were moments where it felt really dark. And it felt like I was nose to nose with a monster I never saw coming. And I'm so thankful that the Lord has been faithful. And as you see, I'm walking around okay right now, right? I'm still on a journey of healing. He has been good and he's going ahead of me. But I'm so thankful for the followers of Jesus who are part of this family, who rallied around me and my family, who were praying for us, who even now will reach out and say, I am I am praying for you that the God who brings healing and hope and light and life will be active today. Because I've gotta tell you, there were moments, there were moments where I bordered on despair. Where I stepped into that pool and wasn't sure. I wasn't even confident that there was hope that anything would be any different. You see, there are times, friends, when we confront a monster in the dark and we don't know how to find or hold on to hope and we need each other. And I found myself borrowing the hope of others. Holding on to the hope they had for what God and only God could do. Holding on to the hope when they said Jesus is alive and he is king and he is with you. And even though it doesn't feel like it, everything is okay. I cannot overstate the value and life that we breathe and bring when we choose hope for the sake of others. So where do you need to choose hope for the sake of others? Now, maybe like me in those spaces, you find yourself in a moment in time where you wonder if there is hope. Where you've been confronted with whatever monster in the dark and you're trying to figure out if there is any hope. And you might even go so far as to say hope is dead. That it's just not there. For you in your circumstance, in your relationship, in whatever it is. And so before we wrap up and pray, I want to speak these words over us. It's actually a description of who God is found a little bit earlier in that letter to the Romans. Listen to this. This is a description of who our God is. All right, Just, just receive this today. He is the God who gives life to the dead And calls into being things that were not. There is no circumstance so impossible. There is no moment so dark. There is no hopelessness so deep that this is not true. That ours is the God who can raise the dead. Ours is the God who calls things that are not and makes them happen. He's the one and he can do it in and through and for us today. So that's going to be my prayer for us. Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, we rest in knowing that you are alive. That you are king. I'm so glad that you are active on our behalf, that you... You are with us, ahead of us, behind us and around us and that there is nothing we face, nothing we bump into that you cannot by your spirit, by your power overcome. Lord, I know that there are members of this family listening right now who have found themselves in the dark, nose to nose with a monster they never saw coming. Jesus, by your spirit, I pray that you would speak words of life and hope, that you would give them the deep assurance that you are alive, that you are king, that you are going before us and that we can have the courage to go through those dark spaces, not only on our own, but with others so they can know the hope and life that you bring. Where we need your healing, I pray that you would bring it. Where we need courage, I pray that we would have it. Where we need your peace, I ask that we would be assured that you are the one who is the God of peace going ahead of us. We need you. We need the hope that is found only in you. So breathe it over us now, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.